0: It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things
1: sports, from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. All right, welcome in to Crunch Time Plays. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at PlaysCrunch, and you can find me on Twitter at Shotgun726, and also on Instagram. And we've got an exciting show for you today. We're going to talk NASCAR with You know her from the Motor Racing Network, and she's also got a a new job with, with Cars Tour now. She's about to be really busy, and she's got a couple other things lined up as well, and we're just so excited to have Hannah Newhouse on with us today. Hannah, hope you're doing well, and thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I always enjoy, obviously, talking a little racing, especially short track racing, but like you said, it's about ready to be a very busy year for me that went from zero to 100 really quick, but it gets underway, you know. Uh, in the next, you know, couple of weeks and I'm ready for this month to start going cuz I'm I'm back back on the racing circuit.
1: Hey, there's no doubt about that. And I wanted to ask you real quick before we get into the cup series stuff I have for you. I know you're you're big with the the NASCAR Heat uh, E-series and how how much NASCAR Heat have you played?
0: Probably not as much as I should have if we're being completely honest with you. Uh we Play a lot of older NASCAR games like Dirt to Daytona, NASCAR 2004. Like we have all of the older games. Um, But we actually don't really have a lot of downtime as far as like being able to play. I do have NASCAR Heat Mobile. So I will claim that and I do play that very frequently in the airport and stuff like that. Um, But I probably don't play as much as I should have in the minimal times that I have played with some of the guys in the lobbies or whether we're playing around when we used to do the show in studio. There is a very good reason why I usually just leave it to them because I get stoked when I finish, you know, 27th on a fixed game by myself. So uh, I thoroughly enjoy the game, but I am horrible at it. Like, absolutely horrible.
1: Yeah, I have I have NASCAR Heat 5 now, and it, it took me uh, probably about 20 races at, you know, Talladega and Daytona to finally win one, because I could never stay in the draft. Like, I, could, and it's probably because I didn't have the wheel. I was just playing with the PlayStation controller, and so with the controller, I couldn't ever steer it well enough to be able to stay in the draft, and so I finally stayed out on a a caution with like three laps to go and I was able to sustain it just long enough to be able to win that race and then last year right after the return to racing I spent I don't know how many races with with Jimmy Johnson just because I just felt so bad for him that he couldn't ever he just had such bad luck at those races last year in his in his last year and I was just playing with him, just trying to get him a win, you know, thinking if I can do Some good win-...
0: karma would come around. Yeah, yeah,
1: and and it never did, but he's he's off to, to IndyCar now, and hopefully he'll – maybe he can collect some wins there.
0: That's a good-looking car, too. That Carvana car that he has is good-looking. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see that. It'll be interesting because you know he's going to take a NASCAR fan base with him when he goes over there. Cause everyone will be peak curiosity of how he's going to do, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well.
1: Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And if I, so before the season started, if I would have told you that the first three winners of the cup series this year would be Michael McDowell, Christopher Bell and William Byron, you would have said what?
0: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, it's just one of those things that those are people that you hope win But you have to look at the statistics. I mean, we go into each and every race weekend with help from our friends at Racing Insight that literally will break down the statistics for you on who's good at these racetracks, who's not, you know, who's up in the odds and that kind of stuff. And no one would have pinned Michael McDowell at the Daytona 500, but we've seen some surprise winners there. So that was like a cool deal where we were all like, oh, wow, that's a great win for him. Probably just a one off. He has three top tens in a row. So I don't think you can count him out for more maybe this year. I mean, like, you know, we always say when people get that first win, they get this confidence that carries with them. And I think this is it for him. He's got this newfound spark, this energy. They know they can do it, and it's showing. And then Christopher Bell at a road course, that's not something anyone ever would have thought. We were all waiting for the Bristol Dirt Race or, you know, one of the the big tracks, not the Daytona road course. And so for him to get that there, and honestly... I think Kyle Larson would have won that had he not taken a ballsy move and you got to do it. Like you, you got to do that. You got to take those risks, especially at the road course. I think Kyle Larson maybe would have had it, but Christopher Bell obviously was amazing at the end of the race. So your two dirt guys potentially would have won the road course. And then of course for William Byron, again, that was not someone that I would have pegged at, you know, at Homestead. Uh, Redick was coming and I, you know, probably thought that it was going to be Reddick. We all kind of had, you know, our bets that it was going to be Reddick, or again, one of the dirt guys, someone like Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell that is used to running the top. They're good there. And Redick is hands down, probably the best driver out there right now at Homestead just didn't time out for him, but William won won by like six seconds. So it's not even like it was a close deal. Like I'm honestly genuinely curious to see how Vegas is going to pan out and, you know, Phoenix and a couple of them, because I, do, I don't know. I mean, you can't even bank statistics right now. You look at the guys that have won your Phoenix like your Chase Elliott, and I mean, I think we'll see a different winner.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think so, too. I mean, I thought, Ch- you know, I thought Chase Elliott was going to win that Daytona road course race because he was dominant in the first two stages, and then he had that, you know, the one kind of pit stop where the tire kind of got loose and they had to go retrieve it, and they kind of kind of took him out of it after that. But yeah, I'm, I was like you, I was like, well, Christopher Bell and, and William Byron, they or Kyle. And also Kyle Larson, they, I was expecting them to win, you know, the Bristol dirt race coming up and, or something like that. It was really odd for me. And one guy that's not doing well right now. And that's, that's Kyle Bush. He just, he, I don't know what the deal is with him. He just he just can't. And then he comes over the radio and says, "We freaking suck." Like, just what, what kind of what what can he do to kind of? I mean, I know he's a very flamboyant guy anyway, but what what can he do to kind of kind of mold the situation there? Hopefully, get back to victory lane.
0: Well, I think Kyle's frustration comes from the current state of the cars that they have. You got to remember people like Kyle Busch and Martin Truex, Denny Hamlin, they've been around long enough to see multiple series of cars, different packages that have been tried. So you get some of these new guys in here they don't know anything but these cars. So you're working with a clean slate. And um, I actually listened to door bumper clear, which is a podcast with a bunch of the spotters um, today. And they were talking about the race at Homestead and Kyle Busch, literally getting on the radio And he's told you have pretty much the same setup as Truex, who at the time was running in the top three or four. And he goes, what can I do? What can I do to be running better? And I think as a driver, that's extremely frustrating because my personal opinion as someone who's been a driver and watched enough racing, the driver should be driving the car. And at the end of the day, that should be the 80% of a performance. And then the rest comes down to the 20. Instead, Kyle's out there driving a car going, get the engineer on the, like on the phone, you know, the spotter needs to tell me what's going on. The crew chief needs to make like, you're taking away the aspect of a driver, making those decisions and being performance-based and putting in the hands of technology. And I think Kyle's frustrated because he's now showing up at the racetrack and it doesn't matter how hard he drives. It's going to be the engineering that outbeats him. And so he's frustrated right now. You know, Gibbs, I think Gibbs as a team is frustrated right now um hamlin of course points wise is sitting very well but hasn't gotten the win yet who would have thought christopher bell would be the first gibbs car to get a win truex and bush not doing so hot so far so i think we're seeing a lot of these so weird to even call them older drivers but older drivers becoming frustrated with what's going on as far as a package
1: does it does it seem like there's because I know there's a lot more technology in the cars than there used to be, not engineering the car as And there's so much, you know, a lot of people call them analytics. Now there's a lot of, of, there's so much data out there that it seems like, it seems like the younger generation of drivers, kind of like William Byer and Christopher Bell, those guys are more ingrained in that. Like that's all they know. Whereas, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Bush and those guys are used to kind of the old school way. And what's, how can, how can those kind of older school drivers kind of make light of what's going on with all the data that's out there?
0: Um, I think that data is taking away their advantage. Essentially, it's taking away their experience that they're going to have over someone else because now someone can literally open up a notebook or a data file and Take everything about Denny Hamlin or Kyle Busch, whether it's their throttle control, where they're getting on and off of, you know, the gas, how they're the line they're running, the aero I mean, everything that would make Denny Hamlin have a competitive advantage is no longer a secret. And so they're at the mercy of the younger guys that are not only getting this sim training and, you know, all of this other stuff. But now they've got these engineers that have all of Denny Hamlin, Kyle Bush's, Martin Truex, Kevin Harvick's speed secrets, essentially. And they're just being able to give them to these young kids. So again, we're evening the field with technology and putting driving capabilities somewhat in the backseat. And so I, we're just at the mercy of where technology is going anymore. And they're they're frustrated. You know, you've seen kind of Hamlin embrace the sim a little bit more. You've seen some of them kind of be forced into that route. You know, some of the Ford drivers I know are now really involved in the sim. Chase Briscoe talks about it all the time, but you're going to hear your William Byron's, your, some of your young kids in the trucks, the Xfinity series constantly talk. I mean, Ty Gibbs wins that, that road course race. And what does he say? I spent so much time in my sim, my simulator, you know, making sure everything was good. So when I got to this racetrack, they take the green flag, they know the racetrack. So when they say they've never turned a lap on this track, not a real lap, but they've probably turned hundreds and hundreds of laps in simulation. And anymore, those simulations are so realistic as far as just getting a baseline. That's what you need. And then the rest is in the hands of the engineers. I mean, it's just a different world that we're in, even compared to 10 years ago's NASCAR.
1: How much did the. I know before we had the return to NASCAR last year, we had the I the a lot of the drivers did the i Racing series and how what kind of benefit did that do for some of the older school drivers to be able to to kind of get on the sim and and be able to turn laps of those tracks?
0: Well, obviously that started off as a we need to fill the T V window, we've got T V contracts, we need to have something out there. And it was super fun. I mean, it was fun to see a lax side of some of these drivers because obviously there's not race cars and real money and all this stuff on the line so um, it was fun to see that side of it and i think that no one saw how much they were going to rely on it down the road in the sense that they were like okay nascar said we needed to get a sim you know we're gonna do this we're gonna i race whatever but i don't at, at the time this was launched we just assumed that in the next couple months, we'd go back to racing. We'd go back to our three, four day schedules. We'd still be practicing qualifying. Here we are literally a year later with a full schedule of only like five races that have practice and or qualifying. So now they don't have a choice. Like now they're probably thankful that, that they did some of this, you know, eye racing because we're going to race tracks like Coda or Bristol dirt, or, you know, for the cup guys, road America and that kind of stuff that, some of them have never even seen, let alone turned laps on. So if you don't want to do it, that's your loss. But you know, you're know, you going to have some of these, again, young kids that are getting after it on the Sims. And so I think they've been forced into that. And, and I'm glad they probably think they're a little forced over the, the Invitational Series. But no one could have called that this is what we would be doing a year later. I mean, it's it's quite insane to think about. Next weekend was the weekend that we all got in cars, drove to Atlanta, and got the phone call sitting in the Atlanta parking lot going, yeah, guys, go ahead and turn around and go home. We're going to cancel the weekend. And we were like, what? You're going to, ca- okay, well, are we going to reschedule it? And they're like, we don't know. We'll let you know. I'm like, okay, well, I'm planning on working next weekend. And all of a sudden we're out for four months. I mean, who who could have even guessed that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just the, we're finally starting to recover from it just, just a little bit. I mean, states are, you know, starting to reopen fully, which i saw today we're recording this on a Tuesday, but I do want to ask you, you brought, you brought up the Bristol dirt race. What, what kind of experience is that going to be for drivers and fans? And, and who do you, who do you think has the advantage there? I know we talked about Christopher Bell and Kyle Larson already, but who are some of those other drivers that could have the advantage there later this month?
0: The Bristol dirt race. I'm super, super excited about. Um, but the best way to put it is it's going to be an exhibition race that happens to be a points race. Like it is going to be a free for all in the sense that, you know, I don't think anyone really knows what to expect, but it goes back to the engineering aspect of it. They're not going into this blind. You know, that these guys have again, simulated it. They have all of the engineering, the data that they need to, you know, they've got, um, dirt nationals coming up here with a uh, world about late models. So they've got cars on the racetrack and you know, that these teams have people there. They're watching how the clay, you know, they're bringing in dirt experts. I mean, again, we're, we're past the time of someone loading up their cup car, their, you know, Winston cup car on an open trailer showing up there and going, well, I'm going to learn how to race dirt today. Like we're so past that, you know, you're seeing Kyle Busch get back in a dirt late model here in the next week or two to get experience for this. Um, and I actually had a conversation recently too with, with someone about how we thought that maybe these dirt guys might have an advantage here. But I will say, you know, someone like Christopher Bell doesn't have stock car experience in dirt. And that is a very different ball game. You see guys that are sprint car drivers, Kyle Larson being a far exception. He's just wicked talented in literally anything he gets in, but they get in these stock cars and it's just different. Like everything about the downforce, the handling, how you drive the cars, stock cars are just different. So I don't know, man. I mean, I think I think you can place safe bets on someone like a Denny Hamlin who just, at the end of the day, is just adverse in everything he can drive. I mean, I'd love to see someone get a breakthrough run, maybe like a Redick. Again, Reddick has stock car experience on dirt. Um, that could be his breakthrough moment. But again, Bristol's already a race of attrition. You literally just have to have a car for half the time at the end of the race. Throw him on dirt with 30 people that don't have dirt experience. I mean, that could easily be a wild card race.
1: Yeah, I mean, we definitely see somebody shake up the playoffs there, there in Bristol. And speaking of shaking up the playoffs, I wanted to ask you how, because I know we've had three different winners already, and if we go through, you know, a lot of the season where we have a lot of, seems like more parity this year, where we have more kind of first time winners and or guys that haven't won in a long time. How can that shake up the playoff race? And we have s- s- potential for some of the drivers that are used to making the playoffs every year just not getting in because they have high finishes, but they don't have wins.
0: Yeah. I think Rudy Fugel, you know, this past weekend said it the best. He was like, we're not a championship caliber team, but now that we're locked in, we have 26 weeks to become one. So their their whole focus just shifted from being, okay, get a win and get locked in to how are we going to become consistent because we've seen it you just have to be consistent to get through the playoffs i mean kevin harvick was winning a ton of races last year nine or whatever and then his playoffs just weren't consistent and that's literally what lost him the championship so you know you get some of these wild card guys that get in there and there's someone that may get a win and you know you look at it and go he'll be out the first round and it's not anything to really worry about but again when you're someone that is a Gibbs car or a Haas car or you know even a Ganassi car for that matter um and you're not getting the win and you're watching all of these other guys that are wild card wins again it comes down to the guys that are locked plus some points and we're already three races in with three guys that no one thought was going to get wins this year so that's now less spots to be open and when you can start getting in there and you haven't gotten that one yet and you're that win yet you start panicking and I think we'll see the playoff picture you know when we get closer to it if we start getting some new winners again I, I think you're gonna see some of the veteran drivers that aren't locked in panicking and therefore making some risky moves I mean they're going to get desperate. And so I'm excited. I think our playoffs, how they have them laid out on the schedule, where we're going, where we're ending rounds. I mean, last year, you know, we ended around at like Martinsville. Are you serious? You're going to end a round at Martinsville, you know, end around at Daytona. Like stuff like that is insane. But it's great because it's the entertaining aspect of someone could have a wild card night and all of a sudden end up in the final four. And you're like, what is this? So frustrating for the drivers, great for the entertainment aspect. Guess what, folks? we're in the entertainment business. At the end of the day, we're a sport. We are in the entertainment business. So it, it goes hand in hand.
1: Hey, I mean, there's no doubt about that. I'm going to ask you about track dynamics for a second. As geographical track dynamics. I know a lot of NASCAR seem to, the you know, the last few years and, and I've heard Steve Phelps mention this, that they're trying to to get back to their roots a little bit. I mean, we see that we have a Nashville race this year. We have a, a Bristol dirt race and, it seems like a lot of the, the Southeast kind of stable of where most of the, I mean, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the fans in NASCAR are are from the Southeast and we're not too ingrained anywhere else. What kind of dynamic do you think it is for NASCAR to kind of get back to their roots and kind of try to expand the enthusiasm for the sport and how, How far do you think the enthusiasm for the sport has come over the past few years?
0: Well, I definitely think we have a whole new demographic over the last year and a half. I mean, just everything that's happened in the world and where NASCAR's, you know, placed their stances, they definitely gained a lot of new fans. And we've seen a transition also in leadership within NASCAR, even since I started um, really becoming around the NASCAR scene three, four years ago. And the people that have stepped into these roles were seeing a younger sense of leadership that I think is a little bit more progressive in maybe hearing the fans and what they want and taking it into consideration where we got in a rut and it came down to, and it still does come down to the finances aspect of it. You know, we all, we all begged for Nashville fairground speedway and they went, we can't do that. We can't do that for a handful of reasons being safety, but also the to be able to host the Cup Series between the fans and everything that comes with it, they can't do that. You know what I mean? And again, people, I'm sure they know this now because of how much complaining has happened on our start times as of recently on Twitter. A lot of decisions come down to the TV networks too because it is a, it is a multi-level marketing scheme in its finest in the sense that... TV pays NASCAR, NASCAR pays the teams broadcasting everything. I mean, it just trickles down. So when TV says, Hey friends, we don't really want to go to, you know, Madison Speedway in Wisconsin, because it's going to take us a lot to get out there. And NASCAR goes, yeah, it's going to take us a lot to get trailers out there and we'd have to do upgrades. And it's not even so much NASCAR just bringing in, in, in their circus. I mean, these racetracks, Believe it or not, have to pay NASCAR to have races, and so you're seeing the same tracks get used because NASCAR and SMI own those race tracks. So it's essentially nothing out of their pocket. So to branch out of that and go to your Road Americas, go to your CODAs, which is technically an SMI track in the sense, you know, go to your um, go to your independent race tracks. You are forcing someone to pay out of pocket to host a as if the NBA final four were to come to someone's, you know, local high school, how are you going to pay for that? So it's been interesting to see how they're making those changes and getting back to that because people are craving short track racing. You know, they're craving a change. And I think we're seeing that with the road courses Would I put seven, eight road courses on a schedule, probably not, but it's different, you know, and they were like, get a new, at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to please everyone, and I think they're finally figuring that out because everyone complained about. Let's move the championship race, so they moved it. Now everyone's like, "Did you watch Homestead? We should be crowning champions there." It's like, folks, like really, like no, just you're just not going to please everyone. But I appreciate where NASCAR and their leadership is headed. Hopefully two more short tracks, but I think we're getting there. This is just something that they've taken over in the last three years. And this is a 10 year plan.
1: For for the people that don't know uh, what the SMI tracks are. Can you, can you give us a list of some of those just for, for pe- people's knowledge and, and what kind of goes into the leadership of those tracks?
0: Yeah. So it's super confusing, even to my parents. I literally will call my parents who obviously hear about this all day and, Still can't keep a track of it, but basically how it works out is um, NASCAR owns ISC, which is International Speedway Corporation, and ISC actually owns MRN, so who I work for. Um, And then SMI is Speedway Motorsports Incorporated, and they own PRN, which is the Performance Racing Network. So the only reason I can keep these racetracks figured out is PRN goes to SMI tracks and MRN goes to ISC tracks. So for example Las Vegas is an SMI track, um Bristol is an SMI, Texas, Charlotte Motor Speedway, um shoot. There's a couple more. They all look they all look alike. If you ever want to know what an SMI track is, they're all built similarly so as far as their colors, everything like that. Um so like those are SMI tracks. ISC tracks include um Phoenix is an ISC track, uh Martinsville, Man, where else do we go? Daytona, um, Talladega, Darlington. And then it also gets even more confusing because, as I'm sure people see with the TV side of things, um, the Motor Racing Network has rights over the truck series no matter where they go. So for a prime example, you would mentioned again we're recording this on a Tuesday. I go to Vegas this up-and-coming weekend, which is an SMI track. But the truck series is there, so MRN has to go for just the truck series. So I literally, our whole group will literally fly in for the truck race and fly out, and then PRN takes over on Saturday for the Xfinity and a Cup race. So it's super, super confusing. We have the All Star race as well. Half the time, I don't know again where we're going until like two days before we're going there because I'm trying to keep track of things on an agenda. Um, But yeah, to put it all on paper one day would be like trying to, you know. give you a house plan. Like there's just so many different facets of who controls who and who's over top of who and oversees things. It is insane that it is a functioning company.
1: Yeah. Thank you for describing that. Cause I've, I've had people, you know, ask me or, or I've just heard people talking about it. Like how does, who decides what goes to, to M what goes to MRN and what goes to PRN. And, and I, you know, knew a lot about it, but I just wanted to, to get your thoughts on it and do you think moving the all-star race to texas i know they had it at bristol last year but it was obviously at charlotte motor speedway for a long time what, what does that kind of do or as far as having different type of tracks for the all-star race and does it make it more fun you know going to different places year after year
0: yeah. I think if we're going to experiment on anything, as far as moving a race around, it should be, you know, the all-star race. Cause it is an exhibition race. It's, it's for fun. It's for money on the line. Um, hopefully Eddie Gossage doesn't hear this, but Texas would have not been the place that I would have sent the all-star race to, you know, again, the whole point of an exhibition race is uh, the excitement aspect of it. And it's been a hot minute since I've watched a race at Texas and been like, man, that was so exciting. That was adrenaline the entire time. And so, Uh, Texas would have not been my first choice to send the all-star race. Um, You know, I think they did a great job with Bristol last year. It was obviously a trial run. They did the underglow, which was not executed how I thought it was going to be executed. Um, But I appreciated the concept and trying it. Um, So I love that they're doing that. And I think, again, this year they're trying things, but they've also been put into a bind in certain situations. You know, Texas lost a weekend this year, essentially. They lost a points weekend. So how do they get that back to some extent? And Eddie Gossage, I think, was like, well, I'll take the all-star race. And they were like, Texas has a good chance of being open. Like, we'll maybe go that route. So, again, there's so many things that go on behind the scenes where even I get emails and I get scheduled notifications. And I'm like, who did this? Like, why are we doing this? But there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that I have to take a step back and be like, man, I'm really glad I'm not making those decisions. Because there's so much that goes into it. Um, I'd love to see an all-star race at a race track that we don't go to that's not on the schedule. You know what I mean? They give someone an even playing field. So let's debut the fairgrounds as the all-star race one year, or let's send cup cars to Iowa one time for the all-star race, like something just completely off par that goes, okay, this is an all-star race. Like we're even playing field, you know, it, it, and it's not something you can follow the regular season and watch.
1: One of the things that I think makes um, NASCAR more fun now to watch. It, all-star race at Bristol was, I, I liked the Undergrowth. I thought it had some kind of like celebratory kind of feel to it, like celebrating NASCAR with the all-star race. I thought that kind of went well. I, I don't know if, like you said, I don't know if it was the most perfectly executed thing, <laughs> but I did like the idea of it and kind of celebrating, having all the lights and just kind of celebrating the sport. And one of the things that's made the sport more you know diverse, if you will, is is Michael Jordan this year coming into NASCAR and co partnership with Denny Hamlin for, for for their car and Bubba Wallace is obviously driving it. Just do you think? And a lot of people that are a basketball fan or NBA fan, if or just a Michael Jordan fan in general, see him going into NASCAR and like, well, you know, NASCAR is really trying to to you know expand and you know, expand to a lot of different demographics, a lot of different people. Just how, how have you kind of seen that, and what do you expect from from Bubba Wallace driving that car for, for Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan?
0: Well, to start, to answer the first part of the question with, you know, seeing Michael Jordan join, you know, NASCAR, I mean – I don't think that was something that anyone really called. I think we joked about it at one point, you know, in the previous years, because he's been at NASCAR races before he has a relationship with Denny. Obviously Denny's got all the Jumpman suits, the Nike stuff, like that's through Jordan. And so I don't think anyone really saw it fully coming together. So like you'd mentioned when someone who's not familiar with NASCAR, but is a diehard NBA fan or whatever it is, or a Jordan fan, sees that, I think it does pique their interest. So to have someone like Jordan of his, you know, prestige and his background and everything join our sport. I mean, to compare, but also not really compare. That's like Jimmy Johnson going to IndyCar. You know, you take your best man and people are going to go watch IndyCar simply because Jimmy Johnson's, you know, racing. I mean, we could send a horrible example here, but Chase Elliott and he signs a deal with, the Patriots, all of a sudden NASCAR fans are going to go watch the Patriots because they're curious and they're curious about the involvement. So that was a huge score for NASCAR to have Jordan, you know, and I think he's truly, this isn't a business deal for him. He's truly passionate about it. I think he likes it. I think at the end of the day, he sees a challenge. He sees something that can help improve the sport, you know, and and to, to team up with Denny is, is a pretty cool deal. Um, And I think we're going to continue to see that again who would have also thought pitbull would be a team owner in NASCAR. You know what I mean? That is a whole nother step of people going pitbull in NASCAR. Like what is going on? And I think we're going to continue to see that because NASCAR is just such a, it's such an inclusive sport in the sense that it's so widespread. Like for the most part, you can click on NASCAR, not have a big idea of what's of what is NASCAR and relatively follow. I mean, you hate to dumb it down to it, but the guy that's, P one on the leaderboards, the one leading, like, you know what I mean? You don't have to really like understand the dynamics of football and basketball and all this stuff. Like it's pretty, pretty laid out for you. So, um, I think we're going to continue to see more and more people get involved. We're seeing more and more young leadership stepping in, you know, your, your Gene Haases and your Chip Ganassi's they're, they're getting up there in age and there's going to come a day where they're like. Well guys it was fun. I'm going to go hang out on my yacht for the next, you know, 30 years and then who's going to step into those positions? You know what I mean? You can't just you're not going to see some 25-year-old just show up with billions of dollars to blow on NASCAR. So you got to start somewhere and I think someone like Jordan's a good person to have to take that role. Um, poor Bubba Wallace, man, he he obviously stepped into the limelight of people placing extremely unrealistic expectations on him. And when he fails, it's not going to be for the right reasons. Like people are going to say he failed for all the wrong reasons. And you can't expect someone to. It's just not realistic to have someone step into, not only with a new team as them as a driver, crew chief pairing, whatever, but it is literally a new team. I mean, like ground up new team and you can't expect someone to like go out there and just dominate. And so I think they're going to get their footing underneath them. You know, obviously to some extent they are a Gibbs satellite car. So they're getting help from Gibbs, who has not had a great start to the year either, so if you want to compare apples to apples, kind of makes sense um, so I hope that you know people are able to take a look at the other folks that are in the field and go, okay, we need to make comparative you know look here at how everyone else is doing uh, but I think but we'll see Bubba, I don't know if we'll see him maybe get a win this year, um, but I think we'll see him really take a big competitive stride this year. They're going to get, you know, Jellin, They're going to get moving by mid-season, end of year, maybe see him pull off a win in the playoffs or something, um, whether he's in them or not. But I think, you know, next year is going to be a big year for him because he's back on an even playing field with the, the new car. So it's going to be a new learning experience for everyone, and that's going to even the field out.
1: Yeah, I agree of it because I was thinking whenever – it first got announced, I was like, yeah, it's going to take them a little while. Cause they they are brand new. And, and yeah, ne- next year does seem like a really great time for him to kind of, to kind of step up and be, be the, the driver that everybody thinks he can be because like you said, he hasn't really lived up to expectations so far for whatever reason or another. Um, but most people have their ideas as to why, but, you can't really pinpoint the exact reason. And so next year, I think there will be a big opportunity for him. And I wanted to touch on a team that's doing pretty well uh, to start of the year, and that's Hendrick Motorsports and William Byron obviously gets the win with his new crew chief, Rudy Fugel and just kind of talk about William Byron for a second. And he's had a few crew chiefs, you know, the past few years and most recently checking out and now Rudy Fugel. What, what is that driver crew chief kind of like? I know you know you're a driver yourself. Just what, what what's that kind of relationship like between driver and crew chief and how difficult is it to have so many, you know, through the first few years?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing is when you're a driver crew chief, you need to make sure that you and your crew chief are speaking the same level of gib- same level of gibberish basically is what it is because at the end of the day, you know you can know how to communicate, but your crew chief's got to trust you. You have to trust your crew chief, and that takes a while to to get to that level. I mean, you're going to see, you know, when you get someone handed to you as a crew chief, and you come in and say, "Hey, your my car's doing this," they are going to take that information and make a call. And if that call is continually wrong, you're going to lose trust in your crew chief, and vice versa with the driver. You know, the crew chief's going to tell the driver to do something. You know, he may not be relaying the information right. Or the driver may be seeing something that the crew chief's not. It's a, a whole package of basic communication and trust is what it comes down to. And it takes a lot, long time to get there. I mean, Adam Stevens, you know what I mean? And Kyle Bush lost that. So what happened? They split. Um, you know, but then you've got Childers and Harvick who literally could look at each other and they already know what the other one's thinking. And that's why they've seen success. So Rudy Fugel is hands down one of the smartest human beings to currently be in the, the NASCAR garage. I mean, the success he had in the truck series with everyone from William to Kyle Bush, you know what I mean? Kyle gets in his trucks. win, 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 win. you know, we see it with these young drivers that have been brought to him. Your Chandler Smiths, your Christian Eckes, your, you know, your young one-off drivers that were coming in running up front, qualifying in the top five. That's, not just pure luck. I mean, you look at who was the crew chief, Rudy Fugel. So to now have William Byron have another one of the smartest guys in the garage of Chad have had been his crew chief for a couple years. William is now comfortable. He's confident in the cars. And then you just have the cherry on top with someone that he wholeheartedly trusts and has good communication with. And it's like, you got a perfect pie. You know what I mean? Like it all just, it all just comes to fruition for them. And so, I'm really excited to see what these two do this year. Uh, Rudy's again, one of the nicest guys in the garage too, as is Byron. And I'm excited to watch Hendrick. I mean, if you look at the average age of all four Hendrick drivers combined, it's still younger than like pretty much anyone over at Haas, anyone over at Gibbs, you know, Gibbs has got bell now, but I mean, like Hendrick went ahead and said, all right, I'm going to cash in on the next generation of who I think is going to be champions. And you've got Bowman, you've got Elliott. I mean, who literally just won a championship, you know, Bowman is still seeking to find that consistency. You know, we'll win a race here and then finish 27th. And I think that's just Bowman as a person, but he's getting there, you know, as far as getting, getting the communication potentially with his crew chief and stuff. Um, but yeah, man, Hendrick, man, they just cashed in on the next crop of young drivers that he thinks is going to be champions. He's going to grab them now, let them drive four, five, six, seven years in his cars, as long as the sponsorships there. And that's how you form championship caliber teams is keeping people together, keeping the mesh, getting, you know, building on it each and every year. And it's going to be interesting to see. And I think Willie B too, after this last weekend, it goes back to the McDowell thing. He's got a win under his belt. He's feeling good. He's feeling confident, you know, qualified on the pole for the Daytona 500 should have been in the, you know, the win for the duels wrecked out. So he's like ready to roll. And when you get that win this early in the season, he's going to be something, something to contend with each week.
1: Is I want to ask you about Alex Bowman real quick, and then we'll get into Kyle Larson. Is he, is he feeling any added pressure driving that 48? I know he's, he's still got his crew chief and Greg eyes. They brought over his whole crew, but just the fact that he's driving Jimmy Johnson's car and driving his number in the 48, is that any added pressure for him these first few weeks? And what can he do to kind of stave off that and try to make some consistency?
0: To be quite honest with you, I don't think it is only because this is deja vu for him, you know, to fill in for junior and almost win the race. You know what I mean? A couple of years ago when he first got that big break No one ever thought that anything would really come of it. And then he gets announced as the 88 driver. So you're replacing the most popular driver in NASCAR, you know, America's driver, like this whole deal living up to the standards of Dale Jr. Maybe not so much statistically on the racetrack, but you're taking over the most famed current drivers, you know, spot. How do you live up to that? So I think he went through that. And I think that was a difficulty for him. And then he gets the phone call that he's, you know, switching numbers again to the 48. And he's like, Again, again, but it's an honor. So he's probably not mad about it by any standards, but he's probably like, okay, I learned what happened when I put this pressure on myself. When I took the 88 over, I got to stop worrying about the number on the car. Like again, at the end of the day, the Twitter warriors are going to be the Twitter warriors. The number on the car doesn't change how the car drives. And I think that was, you know, one of the biggest things that he said is like, I just need to forget what number I'm driving. I just need to go drive because otherwise it gets in your head. Um, So I think he's a little bit more prepared For this situation, because it's happened to him before, which not many people can say. I think the only one that can really say that is probably like Chase Elliott when he took over the 24 before he went to the nine. Like that's probably the only other scenario that you can really be like, wow, how do you do that? But no one ever knows what Chase Elliott's thinking because Chase Elliott is a man of many or man of very few words. So we don't really know how that situation, uh, you know, transpired. But I think, I think Bowman is, you know, putting that in the rearview mirror both you know literally and and metaphorically speaking because he's done this before
1: to me to me it seems like the leadership at Hendrick is 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 one of the better ones I know Chad House just recently moved into the VP position there and how 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 influential is he as far as the setups of the car and then Jimmy Johnson's gone now he's moved into IndyCar just is is he kind of staying around, and how influential have he and Jeff Gordon been to Hendrick?
0: Well, Jeff obviously is still extremely influential. I mean, he you know was spotted at Chili Bowl with William Byron; they were hanging out, whatever. And I think you know Jeff's probably one of the first calls for William when William has a question, whether it's on racetrack, off racetrack. And I think that's a role that Jeff wanted to have and will continue to keep. Um, whether that's, you know, advising from a business side, helping coach these drivers again, Jeff is one of the most successful drivers we've ever seen in NASCAR, both on and off the racetrack. Um, I think he'll obviously stay very involved, uh, for a very long time and same with Chad. I mean, if you ever get a chance to listen to a podcast, you know, uh, Dale jr. Download did one with Chad over, I think the last summer. And I listened to it. You'll find out more about him as a person and what makes him tick. And then it starts to make sense. You know, you start to see why he is so influential in the business and and the company and his drivers and that kind of stuff, because of how his brain works and the competitive drive that he has. I mean, it's not just he's not okay finishing fifth. He's not okay if a car rolls off the floor, probably finished or, you know, not up to the standards. And that's what it takes to be a championship caliber team. And and Chad make sure that happens.
1: I wanted to ask you about just sticking with the Hendrick, I wanted to ask you about Kyle Larson. He, I know a lot of people didn't see um, back coming as far as, as far as Mr. H, you know, hiring Kyle Larson to drive, to drive the five car this year after, you know, he, he he made a mistake and he, he admitted that. And just what does that say about Kyle Larson that, you know, everybody deserves a second chance and, and Mr. H obviously gave him that. What, what does that say about him and, how he's grown and kind of what, is, what does it mean for Mr. H to call him and say, hey, I want you to come race for me. And just kind of that relief that you're getting that second chance.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he he sighed a big sigh of relief, you know what I mean, when, when he got that phone call. That was not probably the first place a lot of us would have put him. Um, as far as a return, you know, we all had our, our speculations on who he would end up with, if he would end up with someone, because, you know, at the end of the day, Uh, it doesn't matter who's going to take you if you can't get sponsors and in, you know, an event like that, it was probably pretty hard for him to get sponsors. Um, but you know, Kyle Larson went above and beyond not only, you know, to fix his mistake, but learn from it as well. He's continually proved that he's learned from it and will continue. This wasn't a, Hey, I fixed it. I'm back. He's continuing to work on that. Um, which says a lot about him as a person, you know, he's, he's a, Tried and true racer. He's a short tracker. He cut his teeth from literally the ground up. And I am confident in saying, probably one of the most talented drivers in the world right now. So when you're Mr. H, you have to look at that from not only a business standpoint, but you have to protect your business in what you're getting involved with. So you know that there were a lot of conversations that took place, probably personal ones between him and, you know, Mr. Hendrick of, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? You know, what are you doing to better yourself? Um, everyone deserves a second chance. And I think it was really cool that Mr. Hendrick was the one, you know, one of the longest standing names in motorsports right now was the one to take that risk. Cause you know, we had to maybe go into Stuart Haas just because the Tony Stewart connection, you know, take a chance on a dirt racer. Tony Stewart knows him. You know, we were like, well, he's not going back to Ganassi. We know that. Um, so I, I personally did not have him in that five car. Uh, and, but I'm glad to see it. You know, it's, Proved once again that he's extremely talented. He's showing that this year. I think he's itching for redemption because, you know, his his season did get taken away from him last year. um So it'll be fun to watch. It'll be really fun to watch. You know, I think he's he's looking for redemption on the racetrack and off the racetrack. So,
1: yeah, I think so too. And you know, every, everybody deserves a second chance. Every, everybody makes mistakes, and even though it seems like the more you know, popular people in the world, they don't. They don't get a chance to kind of redeem themselves because they're, they seem to be held to such a higher standard than, than everybody else. And they don't really have a lot of privacy. So they're more privy to, to people knowing about their mistakes and different things like that. But I think, you know, it's, we all make mistakes and we all deserve you know, second chances in life. And sometimes, you know, third and fourth, but, uh, but it's, it's really nice to see him and and continue success for him hopefully in the future. And then the last thing I got for you, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Brad Keselowski because he's my buddy that goes to law school at Creighton. He's a a big Brad Keselowski fan. So just wanted to get your thoughts on his season and what him and Jeremy Bowens can do.
0: Brad is one of the most interesting people in the NASCAR garage. um, As far as outside of being a driver, I have done, plenty of uh you know interviews and uh yeah, content pieces with him i think two summers ago we did something for money lion and we did a car wash and it was car wash quiz so i had all of the team penske drivers um at a car wash and we were going through the car wash and giving them quiz questions brad kislowski i mean these were questions like that i would not even remotely get close i mean they're so off the wall that it was insane um and Brad got him all right. I mean, I was like, are you kidding me? And he was sitting there telling me about <laughs> – this is just a conversation that will stick with me forever. He was sitting there telling me and the group that we were there with about the aggression tendencies of a of a gorilla and basically how a gorilla like defends itself and how those tendencies, you know, what this means in, in the communicative, you know, manner and how it's adapted to us and how we reflect, you know, aggression. And I was like, dude, where did this come First off, how did we get on this conversation? And he's constantly like that. I mean, I've had some of the most off-the-wall, intriguing conversations with Brad. And he's so smart away from being a race car driver. I mean, so smart. And, I mean, he has his own, you know, CAD company. He has his own company that is currently designing and building parts for, like, aeronautical, like, like space stuff. I mean, they do more than that. But, like, what? You know what I mean? You don't look at you don't look at these guys that show up on TV on Sunday and do interviews and, and think that they have lives outside of their Sunday day job. Um, so super great guy, very very interesting. Uh, I'll be curious to see how their t- how their season goes. Obviously, obviously didn't get off to a great start with him and the teammate Joey Logano. I think that we'll see that animosity rise back up because when you just eventually have two teammates that are consistently competitive on a weekend basis, it no longer becomes a let's get a win for the team. It's every man for themselves. And I think we're going to see that situation a couple times this year. Um, hopefully some of that good run trickles on down to good old Matt Benedetto because he is having a horrible start to the season. I feel for him. That man, I mean, you got to be a little beat down, you know, three races in knowing that your, your ride is up at the end of the year. So, um, but yeah, no, Brad, again, you never know what he's going to say first and foremost. And I, that scares me as an, as a, someone that, you know, interviews people for a living. Uh, but it's also very entertaining and my first time ever interviewing him. So I'm going on a tangent here, but my first time ever interviewing him, um, he addressed me by name and I remember it was my very first cup race. Um, and I was like, none of these guys know who I am. I'm going to be walking up and down pit road, you know, doing my interviews live on radio for a cup race. And they're going to be like who is this chick? Like, why am I going to talk to her? You know, you just expect to be kind of brushed off. And again, everyone was super nice. Um, I was definitely more scared than I should have been, but I remember I went to go like line up this interview with Brad. There's fans on the racetrack, you know, pre-races used to be absolutely insane with trying to get to these drivers. So I'm like wiggling my five foot four way in there, trying to get to Brad. And he spots me, waves me on over. The fear must've been written on my face And, uh, I, you know, started the interview. They threw down to me, uh, asked the first question and he goes, well, Hannah, you know, uh, that's a great question. And I was like, no way. Like he knows my name and he's just been really good about, you know, addressing it. And, and, as someone that, you know, was obviously very scared in that moment, uh, questioning if I was supposed to be there or not, that like was the validation that you didn't know that you needed. And that goes a long, long ways. So, like something as simple as that has stuck with me where you're like, oh, wow, thank you. That was like, it was so cool. So, um, made me a little, a little less scared. I had to interview a couple of people after the race that I was even more scared for because the race didn't go as well for some of them that they were probably hoping. And I was like, mm, this is it. This is it. This is where someone's going to yell at me on air in my first race. And again, nine times out of 10, they're all pretty, pretty professional about it. But uh, yeah, good old Brad, Brad Kozlowski.
1: That's one thing that I love about Brad is he he always addresses people by name. Like Whenever I see him on TV or, or doing radio with, with you guys at, at MRN or PRN, just the he makes it personal and he, he makes it really comfortable for him and the person that's this interview with him, I just thought that was so cool about him. And next time I need something nautical, I'm going to go to Brad Keselowski and then Matt Benedetto. He's one of the nicest guys there is out there. And just seems like he's an awesome interview. Have you, have you gotten a chance? I know you've gotten a chance to talk to him a lot. What, what's he like?
0: Matt is again, one of the best personalities, you know, these guys, and it's not no fault of their own, really. These guys get in these, you know, uh, cookie cutter ruts, basically. Where there's a couple guys that I can go and interview, and I can pretty much tell you what they're probably going to say before they say it, um, because you know they get in the the cookie cutter interview. You know, they get in the interview, get the sponsors, get the team, thank them, thank the guys back at the shop, whatever. Out. And so while that is a safe bet as again an interviewer because sometimes you don't want to be put in the position of awkwardness or controversy or whatever so while sometimes that is nice um there's also times where you just thoroughly enjoy a good conversation and matt is one of those guys that you always know he's not going to throw you under the bus like he's not going to put you in a bad situation but you don't know what you're going to get from him and it's usually pure thankfulness excitement i mean You know, Dylan, my boyfriend works also for the network uh, and works for NBC as well, was on pit road for the 500, obviously when they're getting better to go back to green after the rain delay. And he was like, yeah, I'm standing there getting ready to go back to green and Matt's standing there with a destroyed race car, like sitting there waiting to get in. And he's like, man, I'm kind of nervous about this. Like, look at this thing. I was like, yeah, dude, it's kind of trashed. And, you know, just sitting there talking to us and and he'll come up to you and, you know, shoot with you and talk to the fans and. He's, you know, active on social media in the like a totally fan-friendly way. Like Matt's the kind of guy that forgets he's a cup driver in the sense that he just thinks he's still racing late models at like Hickory Motor Speedway. And I will say I'm biased because he has a dog named Brian, and my dog's name is Janet. And so I just love the fact that he has a human dog's name. Um, but yeah, Matt's <laughs> Matt's a good dude. Like, I really hope he lands somewhere next year that's good. Cause I don't want to say, I don't feel like he hasn't gotten a fair shot because last year we saw him pick up a ton of momentum at the end of the year. And then you find out that he's going to come back, but only for a year and get getting the car in 2022. So, I mean, he's literally racing for his job once again. And I feel like he's in that situation about every year or two. And that is just not a fun situation to be in.
1: Yeah. I just feel so bad for him because he he's he's such a nice person and he's it seems like he's always driving for his job and for his yep. livelihood and his career. And obviously Austin Sendrick's one of the, one of the top Xfinity drivers who won the championship last year. And, but hopefully, hopefully Matt will, will get a good job uh, here next year. And somebody who has thoroughly enjoyed this conversation is me because I've learned so much from you uh, here in the past 45 minutes or however, and just can't thank you enough, Hannah, and tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what you got coming up.
0: Yeah, I have a lot coming up. So if you want to follow the adventures, um, again, that really start this month, um, you can follow me mainly on Twitter. That's where I'm usually starting conversation. Um, sometimes opinionated, sometimes not mostly just, you know, racetrack stuff, short track stuff too. Um, but that's all just at Hannah Newhouse. Same with my Instagram. That is mainly dog photos or racetrack photos. It's all pretty much Janet on my Instagram. So if you like cute dogs and race cars, uh, that's where you can go. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm on MRN, you know, every week we've got NASCAR coast to coast, which covers short track racing across the country, uh, every Wednesday at noon, uh, I'll be back on the NASCAR heat pro league, which will be Wednesday evenings this summer. Uh, man, cars tour. That's my debut this weekend in the booth, um, which is a, you know, 13 race schedule on pit row TV, obviously MRN radio, uh, where I'll be doing a lot of races with the truck series, cup series, Xfinity series, um. That's on and off. And I got one more thing that I can't quite tell you guys yet, but that's going to make me even twice as busy and uh, add a lot more races and a lot more hecticness to my schedule. But I'm super stoked. Got a lot going on this year. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can get back back together maybe at the end of the year and talk some more racing and everything else that I'll have going on.
1: Hey, there's no doubt. No, definitely. Love to get you back, uh, especially when we get around playoff time. That'll Danny in crunch time we love to get you back to, to talk about that and just how the season was gone. And Hannah's ever adventurous and she is a great follow on, on social media, so give her a follow and you can find her at MRN and she's you know, she's gonna be a pretty busy lady here coming up and and uh and you know, Dylan's great as well. He's from MRN and he's You can find him on NBC as well. Coming up later on, and just Hannah, thank you so much, and stay safe and well, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Awesome, hey, thank you, I appreciate it. All
1: right, that was Hannah Newhouse from the Motor Racing Network and Cars Tour, and she she she's just really busy right now, and we certainly appreciate her taking some time. and Make sure to follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Hannah Newhouse. If you like race cars and dogs, I can attest. You need to follow Hannah on Instagram. And if you don't like race cars, there's a good chance you like dogs. And so her dog, Janet, is always doing some great things. And she's very opinionated, like she said, on Twitter. So please give her a follow there. Thank you so much for checking out Crunch Time Plays today. You follow the show on social media at PlaysCrunch and follow me on social media at Shotgun726. We've had so many great guests. Make sure you go back and listen to those. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. And we're coming to YouTube here. should be this week. and So we'll post those uh, episodes on YouTube, starting with episode eight with Paige Keane from Butcher Report. And then Joe Lenardi, Jamie Chadwell, Chris Budden. Don't want to leave anybody out. Kelsey Riggs, Lauren Sissler. Uh, this episode with Hannah, and then the rest of our episodes will be on YouTube as well. So if you're a, a podcast watcher instead of instead of a listener, or if you just want to see uh, what I look like or what uh, what our guests look like, uh, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. It'll be Crunch Time Plays YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to that, and I'll put out a post there on social media, so make sure you're following me there, at Plays Crunch. But Look forward to catching you next time right here on Crunch Time Plays. Make sure to spread the word. It's the fastest way for us to grow. You guys are the best audience in the world. So much uh, great stuff happening. So many great guests coming up. We'll look forward to talking to you next time right here on Crunch Time Plays. God bless, everybody.